the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello and welcome to this Farm Advisory Service podcast. My name is Seamus Murphy. In today's podcast, I speak to Dr. Lorna Cole and Dr. Paul Chapman. Lorna is an SRUC researcher focusing mainly on the interactions between agricultural practices and biodiversity, while Paul is a conservation consultant for SAC Consulting, helping farmers to create agri-environment schemes and managing habitats and species for conservation on farms. The conversation focuses on the importance of beneficial insects in agriculture, looking at how we can improve habitats on farms to enhance these populations of beneficial insects to the benefit of farmers and wider society. Hope you enjoy the podcast. I'm Dr. Lorna Cole. I'm an agricultural ecologist at SRUC and I also lecture in the Wildlife and Conservation Management course. Um, my name's uh, Paul Chapman. I'm a senior conservation consultant with SEC Consulting. So this podcast is going to focus on uh, beneficial insects. First question I want to ask is, what what actually is a, a beneficial insect? So there's a range of beneficial insects. They are insects that provide what we call ecosystem services. So they provide key functions in agricultural ecosystems. So that includes natural enemies, for example, spiders and ground beetles that control crops. It includes species that are present in the soil that are important for nutrient cycling and soil conditioning, for example, earthworms, springtails and mites, and of course, pollinators, which are important for the pollination of many crops. So a lot of the the bugs and beasties that you'd find around farms all over Scotland then? Yeah, the good ones. The good ones. Uh, So there's a lot of stuff in the media recently kind of about the the decline in in pollinators specifically, talking about uh, reduction in bee numbers. Should we be concerned about the declines in these kinds of insects over the last few years? Absolutely, yes. I mean, the, the, the roles they, they play are um, essential for, for, for agriculture um, and food security. Um, I think in the case of pollinators, the uh, economic value of pollination services by insects being calculated to be worth about £43 million a year in Scotland. That's um, supporting the pollination of agricultural and horticultural crops. These insects, they all play slightly different roles and many of the roles they play, they're all interconnected. So, for example, um, spiders will provide food for ground beetles and then ground beetles in turn provide food for farmland birds. So... We need a diversity of insects because if you think of it like a Jenga tower and the little blocks or the different insects, as we lose insects from this Jenga tower, the agricultural system becomes more fragile and less stable. And that's the main concern that if we lose too many of these important key blocks that this Jenga tower could just fall down and we could end up with ecological collapse. 
Mm. A lot of these beneficial insects will they'll help us fight off these pests that farmers are using kind of sprays and uh, pesticides to try and control at, at the moment. And then that, that 43 million figure that you stated, Paul, that if we don't have these, that's that's a that's a cost then. Yeah, well, there would be a cost then for, for, for the farmers to have to try. Well, <clears throat> part of that cost will be uh, lost yield if mm. those pollinators aren't there. Um, but there may also be costs required to then import uh, pollinators to, to actually um, pollinate the horticultural crops. And do we do any of that uh, at the moment? Or, or what kind of crops require um, really require these pollinators? So mostly these are your flowering crops. The amount of dependency varies with the different crops. So you have crops such as oilseed rape where pollinators contribute about 25% of yield, right up to apples where the figure is high as 85%. Um, So they're really quite important. But then on the other hand, you also have um, crops that are totally wind-pollinated. So crops like winter wheat, barley, these crops don't require pollinators. Looking at the dependency of the crops um, for pollinators, it's been estimated that insect pollination is worth about 600 million alone to the UK economy each year. I find that figure absolutely astounding and quite humbling. So we re- really do need yeah. to look after these wee guys. And and how do we do that then on farm? How can farmers make the, the optimum conditions to get the most from these beneficial insects? Well, the, the important thing to remember is that um, the crops that you, you might be wanting the pollinators uh, to uh, to benefit are probably only going to be flowering for a relatively small part of the year, maybe just for a few weeks. Um, mm-hmm. um, so in order to have the pollinator, wild pollinator populations um, there to do that pollinating at that time, the key is to, to, to make sure that there are alternative food sources, alternative sources of pollen and nectar throughout the farm close by to where the crops are going to be grown so that for the period, so that there's a healthy population there to move into the crop during the flowering period. So um, it's really the key is to, to create um, flower-rich resources throughout throughout the farm, particularly along margins and, and any sort of natural areas. So. People often think about things like creating um, wildflower mixes, um, sowing wildflower meadow mixes, that type of thing. You see a lot of farmers in, in arable areas growing crops like Phacelia. Um, now, they're really attractive crops to pollinators, but the one thing you should bear in mind is, again, like like the crops themselves, that they will flower for a relatively short period of time. So they if you're going to um, sow those sorts of flower mixes, it's, it's maybe sometimes best to have a mixture of species that flower at slightly different times to prolong the length of time that that food resource is available. I think we often forget about this. Things like trees and shrubs that flower, they can be really important food sources for these these species, particularly early in the year, in the springtime. Mm-hmm. So things like um, willows, blackthorn, hawthorn, and, and particularly gorse can be a very important nectar source for, for insects. So having these sorts of plants around on the farm will help maintain the populations of wild pollinators 
And I think there's a side of that is to also consider the other habitat requirements. So, for example, bumblebees require nesting sites. They often use disused burrows of mammals. And areas such as woodland edges or field margins with rough tussocky grass species are really good for bumblebee nesting. And they also provide overwintering sites for ground beetles, spider species. I guess it's important to also consider these areas that you may not immediately relate to providing resources for pollinators. Yeah, it's kind of trying to create this this patchwork of habitats across the farm that will support the pollinators and the other beneficial insects from basically spring until autumn throughout the whole growing season. To do that, it'll probably take a lot of time uh, and a lot of planning on, on the part of the farmer. Is there any possibility that farmers could maybe look at uh, hiring um, honeybees or bringing in um, hives uh, to, to help pollination on their farms? We know that they do that in, in the States and in other parts of the world. Is that an option in Scotland? I think hiring honeybees is certainly an option and the benefit of honeybees is that they overwinter as a colony. They're very abundant in springtime. If we compare that to, for example, a bumblebee, the bumblebee nest dies out in autumn and Mm. it's only the queens that overwinter. So that means that bumblebees tend to be at their lowest density in spring. So for crops that are flowering in spring, such as apples, cherries, oilseed rape, there's certainly a role that honeybees can play. I think what we've got to also consider is there's over 200 species of solitary bees and most of these solitary bees are active primarily in the spring so they could provide an important source of of pollination services. However, I think we need to be careful that we don't simply rely on one single species because different species will forage in different plants and different weather conditions. So if we were to rely simply on honeybees, for example, in adverse weather, honeybees, they don't forage when it's much less than 13 degrees Celsius, whereas bumblebees will be out foraging as low as 10 degrees Celsius. So you can quite easily foresee a situation, especially in Scotland, in spring, where you may have crops flowering and temperatures just being too low for honeybees to actually be active. So for that reason, we really need to support a diversity of species. Mm. So it's maybe it's maybe an option, but ideally you would be looking to try and create all these habitats throughout your farm that support the diversity of pollinators. I think it's like a package of tools you could use if you like, so you can bring in honeybees, but at the same time also be mindful of creating habitat for your wild pollinators and also your natural enemies. Where are we with funding available to support maybe uh, the introduction of some of these habitats like 
hedgerow, hedgerowing or, <clears throat> well, for, for quite a few years now that there's been funding through the agri-environment um, scheme um, programs yeah. over the years for uh, creating habitats that would be suitable for, for pollinators. So um, hedge planting has, has certainly been one element of that. Uh, in, in recent years, it's the funding for, for, for that has tended to be a little bit more restricted, um, particularly geographically. Um, but there are also grants available through agri-environment schemes for things like creating um, wildflower meadow um, mixes, for creating mm -hmm. uh, field margin habitats that would contain um, wildflowers for, for, for pollinators, uh, creating wetland features, that type of thing. So. Um, in general terms, yeah, the agri-environment schemes are, are one of the main sources of, of funding for, for this sort of habitat work um, for pollinators. Um, at the moment, we're in a slight um, period of hiatus where um, we're, we're seeing what will happen um, surrounding Brexit and so on. And yeah. um, uh, right now, uh, we're, we're not sure when the next uh, round of applications for, for agri-environment um, support might um might be available. Um, there are some alternative um, ways of creating pollinator habitat. Um, most arable farmers have to um, put 5% of their ground into um, what we call ecological focus areas. Um, yeah. That might be kind of fallow land, that type of thing, but it could also be um, field margin habitats. So um, farmers could use their um, field margins creatively to to meet both their um, EFA greening requirements um, as well as creating habitats for, for pollinators. So uh, uh, um, possibly a wildflower margin or something like that could be used to try and kind of create that habitat for pollinators throughout the year? Uh, absolutely, yeah. A, a lot of the kind of things that we're talking about here, they're going to have multiple benefits that'll kind of take a lot of boxes for for the farmer in some cases and they'll take a lot of boxes for Scottish government as well when it comes to targets for climate change carbon reduction and and uh, connectivity of biodiversity and all that kind of thing yeah yeah I think that's that's quite right um so you you may be creating um, habitats that have benefits for pollinators whether it's field margins hedges um, wetlands that type of thing. But at the same time, those features can create multiple benefits. So they might help with uh, protection of water quality by creating buffer strips or um, flood mitigation by um, reducing the speed that water flows off, off the land. Um, they be maybe creating shelter, um, whether for livestock or, or crops on the farm, and, and generally making the, the um, farm a more attractive environment. Yeah. We, we we spoke a lot there about uh, pollinators. We were we were kind of mainly talking about pollinators, but there are other other kinds of beneficial insects. So, what are the main groups of invertebrates that act as uh, natural enemies, um, and and what kind of pests can they help to control on farms? So you've got a wide range of natural enemies, and they all play slightly different roles in 
agricultural lands. You've got species that are active in the ground, such as um, ground beetles and spiders, like wolf spiders, and they're very important for controlling ground active pests, so mm -hmm. slugs, snails. Then you've also got species such as lacewing larvae, hoverfly larvae, they actually look just like a little maggot but they're ferocious predators of aphids and ladybird larvae as well so these species are active mainly in the canopy of the crop and mm -hmm. they interact of course so for example Research has found if you have multiple species, so canopy-dwelling and ground-dwelling insects, that you actually have more effective pest control services. So, for example, if you have aphids that drop to the ground to escape ladybirds, then the spiders and the ground beetles are, will hoover them up in the ground level. When you say natural enemies... What what does that mean? What is a natural enemy? It's a naturally occurring predator of pests. So it can range from, it includes your predators, but also your parasitoids. So insects like your parasitic wasp that lay their eggs within, um, for example, aphids and consume them from the inside out. Mm-hmm. So it's it's widely acknowledged that uh, pollinator numbers are kind of reducing um, globally. I think how how are we how are we monitoring that? And are are all kind of beneficial insects on farms reducing at the same rate? I think this is really tricky because we don't have long term data sets for a lot of these beneficial insects and without long-term data sets we don't really know how their populations are faring so we've got relatively good data for pollinators really good data for the likes of butterflies but yeah. for species such as spiders or even more crucial i think in the farmed landscape is your soil insects these um, or your soil creatures, all the mites, the springtails that live in the soil. These species are so small, people don't notice them, they don't record them. So it's very, very difficult to, to even grasp where these species are occurring, let alone try and determine how their populations are faring. These species are so, so important in all ecosystems not just agriculture all ecosystems that yeah. to not know what their status is is concerning farmers trying to encourage more natural enemies or, or or more kind of habitats for them is it the same kind of habitats that we spoke about for pollinators or is there a different set of habitats that they need there is a, a lot of overlap between what you might do for habitat management for pollinators and, and habitat management for um, uh, natural enemies uh, predators mm -hmm. of, of crop pests part of that is because there is an overlap within those groups so things like hoverflies the adults are pollinators, the larvae are natural enemies, so so they're actually serving both purposes. But the key thing, a bit like with, with pollinators in crops, the key thing with, with natural enemies is that you want to have 
a good, healthy population of those predatory um, invertebrates present in and around the crop before any pest populations start to get out of control. So um, yeah. if you imagine aphids moving into a crop um, and, 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 and starting to, to you know increase in numbers, if the, the natural enemies are always kind of behind the curve and just responding to that increase, then they're probably not going to be very effective at, at um, controlling the numbers and, and your, 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 your best numbers will probably rise up to, to um, uh, that sort of threshold that you would need to, to think about, about spraying. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you've got a good, healthy population of predators within the crop already, the hope is that they can start picking off the, the, the pests as soon as they start appearing, and that increases the, the, the chances that, that the pests may not reach the sort of thresholds um, that require spraying. And, and in that way, they, they form part of a sort of integrated pest management strategy. So the habitat creation is all about creating habitats, again, close to the crops that will support those populations of predators. So again, things like field margins around the edges of fields, also grassy strips through the middle of fields, um, what, what people refer to as beetle banks. Um, the yeah. original idea of those was to to, to um, provide kind of overwintering habitat for, for beetles out into the middle of the field where they can then get more quickly into the crop than if they're having to travel in from the edge of a large field. Um, so, so yeah, a lot of similarities in, in the way you would manage for, for pollinators. With the reduction in amount of kind of control methods available to farmers um over the last few years do you think that farmers are starting to think more and more about how they can optimize the habitats for pollinators and uh beneficial insects on their farms do you think it's becoming more of an issue so i would say yes i think that farmers are beginning to recognize the importance of what was previously called unproductive land. So these rough areas mm -hmm. of vegetation, um, we're beginning, not just farmers, society as a whole, are beginning to recognize that these rough, scrubby field margins are, are actually providing a whole wide range of ecosystem services. So they can be providing pollinators, they can be providing habitat for natural enemies, for wider biodiversity, they could be helping to store carbon. So I think farmers are definitely recognising that as chemical control measures are declining that they need to start looking at alternatives and mm -hmm. it i don't see this as a trend that's going to suddenly stop i see this as a continuing trend that chemicals are going to disappear without any effective alternatives and that is where farmers have huge challenges at the minute off the back of that, do you foresee it becoming a bigger part of, or possibly becoming a, a bigger part of the basic payment in the future to, to start implementing these kind of bigger ecosystem services? I, I think that there's there's no doubt that um, 
supporting these kind of ecosystem services through what, what people often refer to as a, a natural capital approach is is mm -hmm. likely to become a, a key um, part of support for for um, for agriculture um, in the future. Um, but um, I think there's also just simple basic economic benefits to uh, particularly arable farmers in um, managing for these um, uh, beneficial insects. And uh, so yeah. I think that there's, a, there's a strong enough economic incentive there that, that farmers should just really be looking at that um, in any case um, and seeing the benefits, particularly as Lorna spoke about, if um, plant protection products are, are um, being um, withdrawn from the market and um, farmers are really having to look at a more integrated um, approach to, to, to pest management, not just relying always on, on spraying, but, um, you know, having sprays as, as, as the, the sort of last resort. Yeah, so so there's enough of an argument to be made for it without the, without it being needed or required under some sort of payment in the future, which is po possible, uh, but there's enough of an economic um, argument to be made for it to, to do that work now. I would think so, yeah. Yeah. So if if I if if I'm a farmer and I'm listening to this podcast and I want to start to um, improve habitats on my farm for beneficial insects and pollinators, uh, what should I do? What can I do right now? So I would say the number one thing is to try and work out what habitats you currently have in your farm to try and work out what habitats you might be lacking. So, for example, if you're thinking of insect pollinators, you want to be looking to see where the flowers are, at what time of year certain areas of the farm are in flower, and if there's any kind of gaps in the flowering period, then also consider resources such as nesting sites for pollinators that could be um, rough grasslands for bumblebees but it could mm -hmm. also be um, areas such as stone walls for cavity nesting bees, old rotten logs for hoverflies, um, so a wide variety. I think diversity is really key here. I think when, once I think once you've um, identified sort of existing features and habitats that are, are likely to be important for these sorts of beneficial insects, um, you can then start thinking about how do you enhance that, how do you build on that. So, um, you know, some of the the simplest measures might be things like creating uh, field margins, beetle banks. Um, they're relatively quick habitats to create. Um, if you include a diverse range of, of plant species within them, including flowering plants, then that's going to um, enhance things for, for um, pollinators and natural enemies. You may have existing field margins that could be enhanced or improved by um, the addition of flowering plants. Um, and then you can you know, build from there. You can go on to other things. I mean, you could look at things like hedge planting and so on, or if if grant funding for, for hedge planting is, is limited or you, you don't want to, to, to do something um, quite on that scale, then even creating a few sort of um, clumps and patches of uh, flowering shrubs, you know, hawthorn, um, blackthorn, 
uh, willows, these sorts of things um, scattered around, maybe just in, in odd field corners, um, then that'll create a more um, attractive environment for, for these insects. What uh, resources are there out there that people could go for information? So there's the biodiversity portal on the Farm Advisory Service website. There's also Agroecology, which is another website that's got lots and lots of information on it, as well as the Soil Associations website. Again, a very useful sources of information, podcasts, webinars, etc. There's also the um, Pollinator Strategy for Scotland that provides um, some uh, useful information that you can access from the uh, Nature Scott website. Good stuff. Okay. Um, that's great. So we'll just finish up then by, by asking you both, um, what would you like to see in the future in terms of um, trying to, to uh, boost the pollinator and beneficial insects in, in Scotland? What, what are your hopes for the future? I guess really for people, not just farmers, for people to value these insects for their beauty, the roles they play in our ecosystems, and mm. that's what I would guess. I, I think I would. I would agree with all that. I would just hope that um, that uh, we're moving to a point where all farmers are, are thinking about things like beneficial insects, just in the same way as they would be thinking about, you know, how the crops growing and um, the, the status of the soil, and that it's just as much a, a part of, of everyday farming as, as all that um, uh, what we would consider normal stuff now. That's great. Uh, thanks very much, Paul. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Farm Advisory Service podcast. For more information on the topics covered, please visit the Farm Advisory Service website at faz.scot. You can also give us a call on the Farm Advisory Service helpline at 0300 323 0161. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and thanks again for listening.